Prior to my entering seminary, I had hopes of studying to become a social studies teacher. In elementary school, middle school, and high school, I just very much enjoyed the social studies. History, political science, geography. I thought, well, that might be a nice profession to go into. And I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison to study to become a social studies teacher. And about two years into that program, the Lord came a-knocking. As you can see, I'm not a social studies teacher. I became a priest. I guess the rest is history. Okay, not even a pity laugh. Okay, it was a pun, right? Social studies, history, the rest is history. It's easier if you don't have to explain the joke, I know. But, but, I actually did end up earning my degree in that area. And of course, part of that is student teaching. And I was studying for secondary education, which is grades 6 through 12. So I had a couple of middle school placements and a couple of high school placements. And it wasn't always the easiest thing to do teaching that grade level. Uh, They certainly kept me on my toes. One thing that I would do to sort of help them get into the class and kind of focus from the very beginning is I would use brain teasers. I had a little book or I'd look on the internet, a little riddle, a little question, and I put it on the board. But as soon as they came in, usually they put down their books and they would look to the board and see if they could figure out the answer to it. As you can imagine, it worked very well in the morning. But as the day went along and they started to share the answer to the riddle, it didn't work quite so well in the afternoon. But in my mind, it was still something that they enjoyed looking at, something that they looked forward to as they came into the classroom. So it's in that vein, I'm going to just start the homily with a little bit of a brain teaser to kind of warm us up a little bit this morning. So here's the question. What can you ask for all day long and get completely different but correct answers to? What can you ask for, once again, what can you ask for all day long and get completely different but correct answers to? The answer is the time. You can ask for the time all day long and get completely different but correct answers to. Now, I didn't come up with that one. It came from the internet, so full disclosure. I'm not going to lie to you, so that's where it came from. But stuff like this, it kind of gets us thinking. Now, our gospel for this Sunday, we see a shift from what we've been hearing the last couple of Sundays. The last couple of Sundays from St. Matthew's Gospel, we've heard Jesus describe the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. You remember back, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who owned a vineyard, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a father who had two sons, one who did his will, one who didn't do his will, so on and so forth. See a shift this Sunday. As if Jesus describing what the kingdom of heaven is like, he starts addressing his message to those who've heard that preaching but in a sense have rejected it. We hear about the Pharisees. The very beginning of the gospel passage talks about the Pharisees and their intention towards Jesus. They've rejected his teaching in a sense the kingdom of heaven and so they want to entrap Jesus. They want to entrap Jesus in speech. So what do they do? They send their disciples. They send their disciples with the Herodians to sort of do their dirty work for them. They ask Jesus this rather difficult predicament. It's a seemingly impossible question to answer. Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now, the reason this is a difficult question is because depending on how he answers, he can find himself in trouble. If he says yes, he'll be in trouble with some. If he says no, he'll be in trouble with some. Why? To start, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? If he says yes, it's lawful, then he's going to be in trouble with his own people. We have to remember that during this time, the Jewish people were under occupation. The Romans came in and took over the Holy Land. They were the ones imposing this tax on the people. So for Jesus to say, yes, it's lawful, 
it seems like he's siding with the foreigners. He's siding with the invaders and turning his back on his own people. That would not probably be a good route. On the other hand, though, if he says it's not lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar, he can find himself in trouble with the Roman occupiers. You can imagine those that were occupying lands, those who conquered peoples, expected a few things. Expected complete obedience, complete submission to their authority. And if that was ever pushed or any hint of insubordination might come up, you can imagine, they wanted to quell that as soon as they could. So if Jesus says, no, it's not lawful, he can find himself in trouble with them, maybe leading to dire consequences for him, his disciples, and his followers. But Jesus, in his very Jesus way, finds a third option. Doesn't have to say yes, doesn't have to say no. Rather, he poses this to them. Whose image and whose inscription on it? Caesar's. Great. Pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Now, we don't know how this passage ends because we cut off here. And even in the Bible, it kind of cuts off as well. But you can imagine those that pose this to him went away defeated, went away humiliated. But that last line, that last line really stuck out to me. Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Now, if you take the first part of it, I think it makes sense. Don't really have to describe that too much. What do we have to repay to Caesar what belongs to him? Well, the coin. So, fair, easy enough. What about that second part? What does Jesus mean when he says, repay to God what belongs to God? How do we repay God back? What is it that we repay him back with? What is it that belongs to him that he wants in return? Sort of a difficult question. Now, in some sense, you could say, well, knowing that God is the giver of all good things, we receive everything from him, the gift of this day, the gift of life, whatever it might be, because he gives us everything, stands to reason, that we should give everything back to him. Everything that we are and everything that we have. Now, like I said, Logically, reasonably, this, this follows. But I think it's got to be a little bit more concrete than that. If I just told you today, all right, give everything back to God, I imagine you'd be like, well, what, what does that mean? It's got to be a little bit more. It, that can't suffice. So if we only had to choose one thing, there's many things, but if we only had to choose one thing, what was that one thing that we repay God back with? I would argue it's time. Time. Time is what belongs to God and what he asks for in return. Like I said, there's many different answers to that question, and we could point to other things. But here's the interesting thing. All of us, regardless of who we are, are given the same amount of time each and every day. Though some people live longer than others in a lifetime, every single day, each and every one of us is given 24 hours. No more, no less. Doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how many possessions you have, how big your family is, each of us are given the same amount of time. And God asks for some of that. To spend time with him in prayer. And so I think that's the question. How do we spend our days? How much time do we give back to God for all that he's given to us? Now, this is certainly going to depend on your own status in life. If you've got a family, it takes a fair amount of your time. You have to deal with that. If you work, obviously that's there. We do have to rest, sleep, eat, recreate, all these things. But where in our day can we set it aside to be with him, to be with Jesus? Here's the thing. 
I'm not advocating that you put away all your responsibilities, all your duties, and just become a monk or a hermit the rest of your life. Not what I'm saying. That wouldn't be prudent, especially if you have a family. Not a good thing. What I am advocating for is that we're intentional. Each and every day that we look at our day and say, Lord, where's our time? Me and you. To allow him to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us, to love us. Here's the thing. I'm convinced, you've probably heard this a million times, God loves you. God loves you. It's true. He does. And I think we probably understand that up here. I think the biggest reason that more people don't know in the depths of their heart how much God loves them is because we don't give them the time to let him tell us. We don't give them that opportunity to speak to our hearts. Because God does love us more than anything else. He selfishly wants us every single day. He wants to spend time with us. But it's up to us. He's waiting for us. It's up to us whether or not we give that time to him. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we know God is so generous to us. But if all of us sat here and counted our blessings, we'd be here for a while. We can't do that because there is still an 11 o'clock mass today, so we have to keep to the schedule. No life is perfect. A lot of us have a lot, all that we need, I would argue. God does ask for something in return, something that belongs to him, and that's time in prayer. Now, for all of us gathered here today, this is a beautiful sight. Because as you know, the pandemic is still going on. The dispensation is still in place. You chose to come here today to spend time with him. It's a beautiful thing. Praise God. This is my prayer. That every day moving forward, we continue to do that. To spend that time with him, wherever that might be. So we remind ourselves that we belong to him. We are his. His chosen flock. The people he loves.